Hello and welcome to Faith Fitness and French Toast. As always, I'm your host, Moses Allwood. I want to warmly welcome you to the season two finale. The purpose of this podcast is simple to encourage, empower, and inspire athletes of all walks of life in their strength endeavors, faith walk, and of course, their best options for post workout late night meals. Firstly, I'd like to thank my sponsors, Skull Smash Ammonia, Raw Grip Chalk, and Tennessee Pre for their consistent support and encouragement. For the best hard-hitting ammonia in the game, there's none better than Steve at Skull Smash. If you're looking to hit a brutal pull and need that added grip, Raw Grip's Liquid Chalk is the highest quality on the market right now. And if you're like me and want that focus boost in your training without the caffeine crash, then Tennessee Pre is the pre-workout for you. You can head over to any of their Instagram pages to get some products. But for the last episode of season two, I'm sitting down with Steve Johnson, an elite level powerlifter, jailhouse strong athlete, and host of the Forsaken Warrior podcast, whose deadlift leg pumps, aggressive training style, and an impressive 909 pound deadlift have all combined to leave a lasting mark on the powerlifting community. You're not going to want to miss this episode as we talk bar fights, the animal cage, coaching, and more. So sit back relax and let's dive in steve what's going on hey what's up man how you doing today you know all things considered i'm doing pretty well you're a busy man so i'm glad we were able to to slot out some time here to chat yeah definitely got a lot going on that's for sure all the time i can only imagine you know we're kind of (laughs) living in a time right now a little bit of chaotic energy so i I yeah we're all kind of balancing a million things at once yeah, luckily, uh, you know, I'm considered a, an essential employee where I work, so I'm able to at least still get out of the house and do something different than just be, you know, stuck in these four walls. Yes, and I, I can imagine that being extremely helpful for your mental health because I've been pretty much interacting the last with about three people for the last like four weeks, and it's not the most fun thing in the world. <laughs> no, that could get old real quick, yeah. Yeah, our, our, all of our relationships are starting to, to become a little bit more trying, I think. People are finding out if we really love each other or not, but, you know, it's, it is what it is. That's definitely uh, right, yep. Well, so, uh, obviously, uh, I, I think I've, well, not so much obviously, but, so I've met you once before uh, at the Arnold last year at Power Shack. You were able to chat before uh, you were competing in the animal cage. Okay. Uh, and so I've gotten to, to see you in action a little bit, uh, but for those listeners who may not um, have seen you compete or seen you lift, um, you're, you're the deadlift king. Uh, you're, uh-huh. your I appreciate brand, it. <laughs> yes. Your, your <laughs> brand, fuck your deadlift, uh, is kind of this, this infamous phrase. And so my first question really is, how did you get that started? Why did that phrase come about? Uh, and how did you kind of get into the field? Uh, so, um, basically it all started, I was, um, a member of a gym. This is before I even really got into like powerlifting, um, really, but I was a member of a gym called Bally's. Um, they had, they were a huge train, uh, chain, you know, gym for a long time. And then LA fitness bought them out. And, you know, I continued to go into the gym locally when I lived, uh, back home in Chicago. And, uh, you know, I was, as I started increasing in deadlifts and just getting better and better at that stuff, uh, you know, it just used to be like a little cocky thing, like that I used to say just to fuck around, you know, and basically tell people your deadlift sucks, you know, (laughs) and and basically like mine's better. Uh, 
you know, I mean, it's just kind of cut and dry and, and it kind of stuck. So when I was working with a buddy of mine, um, and this is back when I was in law enforcement, uh, we were coming, I was trying to come up with a brand and um, really just trying to market, you know, what I'm doing in my training and fitness and all that stuff. And um, I was a wholesaler for Mark Bell for a while. I was selling the Mark Bell um, slingshot yeah. stuff when I was making like a really big online presence. So I had like $20,000 in Mark Bell's gear and I would go to all these meets and set up a little booth and, you know, everybody was always curious. So they were able to touch the products and, and, and use them. And I was the only person doing that in Chicago. So at the same time, I wanted to use Mark's products to bring attention to some of the apparel line that I was trying to design. So originally I was trying to do apparel and, um, you know, everybody just gravitated. I used to hang that t-shirt up. Uh, me and this guy designed it together, kind of like the whole Viking uh, background, you know, just like a whole right. warrior, warrior theme. And um, one of my phrases already was like, you know, fuck you, your deadlift sucks, but fuck your deadlift. And yeah. he's like, let's put it across a shirt and just big bold letters. And, and honestly, I was kind of really hesitant to do it just because, you know, the profanity across it, I wasn't sure if it was going to sell, but it was so bold that I liked it. So um, I would hang this t-shirt up the first time ever I printed off the first run was like a light gray with just black. And, and my logo has since changed, you know, in the word fucks uh, it's evolved over time. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, I hung this shirt up and I had about 300 t-shirts made a lot of money invested and like, boom, before the day was gone, they were all sold out. Um, yeah. And that was on top of, you know, other logo shirts that I had. I had di many different options at that time that we were kind of just feeling out. But that shirt was like the number one, just boom, everybody wanted it. And then, you know, I was like, let's make another batch of them. And then people just started attacking it. And just, it just got really popular and just kind of took off since then. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know it is. It's just such an iconic phrase, kind of different phrase like that. Um, but yeah. Know, it's definitely something that's been attributed to you. Obviously, considering I mean, you're, you're pulling above 900 pounds. So if there's anyone that's yeah. able, to, able to say that to people, it's probably going to be you. Um, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So it's definitely something I, I've played with it back and forth. I was in college. I've decided to wait a little bit longer before I pick up the shit says that. But I know it's on, yeah. <laughs> it's on the list. Like, in private facilities, we're not going to get kicked out for costing too much. Um, yeah, yeah. But so, uh, Deadlift, there's a couple different things where you're you're kind of iconic leg pumps. Uh, and yeah. I, I know you're asked this by every single person. Uh, but for those that don't know, so what is the purpose of those? Because I know it's something that's really unique to you. Um, yeah, you're talking about like the pumps I do beforehand. Before you initiate the pull, yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's also a move that's kind of uh, evolved over time as well. And uh, when I first started out deadlifting, I, I wasn't, I never really did that. And, um, and then kind of, I started, I started doing, it was almost like getting myself ready to, to pull, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, so I was getting myself all psyched up in my head and I started doing it. And I noticed that when I did it, I would pull the bar off the ground way more explosively than, than just gripping and trying to sit back into this, you know, um, pre like 
set up motion and stuff like that and pull, it was, it was just a lot harder trying to sit back and take my time building tension rather than just gripping it and just going. Um, so over time that's developed, um, I, I was started, you know, training with Josh Bryan and stuff. And we started implementing the whole jump, uh, training within the powerlifting program, um, to help me push me over the 900 pound deadlift range. And, uh, I had brought to him my theory and he thought it was ingenious. Although a lot of people do argue it, um, and say that it doesn't make sense or, um, or, you know, just science-based it's, it doesn't, it doesn't work like that, but I mean, I, I do it. So, I mean, you can't really prove me wrong, you know? Right. I mean? Right. Um, maybe it's not the same for everybody. I don't know. It could be also like a placebo effect type of deal. And then also the fact that I've been doing it for many, many years that way. But, um, basically what I came to Josh with was, um, that, you know, the deadlifts, a concentric only movement. So it's a, it's a dead, still barbell on the ground mm -hmm. and you have to pull it to finish it at the top and it's different than the other moves because as you're going like you know as you're bench pressing you're going down towards your chest and you're building up that elastic energy and uh to help with the uh eccentric part of it to push it um and the same thing with the squat um so i uh it's like, you know, how do I, this is, this is what I thought was basically my way of building up that, uh, elastic energy by taking those short, um, you know, uh, stretch brief, like strength, uh, trying to think of the words here, uh, length and shortened cycle of the muscle mm -hmm. and, uh, build up that elastic energy and basically store it for that split second and then convert it into the, uh, the, the deadlift. Um, and I forgot what the actual measurement of time was, but Josh Bryant was telling me that, uh, you know, when you're doing those little pumps like that and you're stretching out the hamstring and shortening it and stretching it out and shortening it, you're building elastic energy and it, it, it dissipates over like fractions of a second, which is the reason why after I do them, basically I grab the barbell and I try to explode out off the floor right away with it. Yeah. If any of that makes any sense. Yeah. yeah no, no, it does. <laughs> processing for a second. I mean, it does because there's yeah. guys who, a long, especially he mentioned, I think of a lifter like uh, like Hayden Bow, who yeah. is locked down so tight and then he's just grinding. I mean, he'll finish it. He's a great deadlifter, but yeah. his is a much more controlled, slow movement. Whereas yours really is, it's a, it's a rapid, it's aggressive it's explosive right yeah and part of that um movement is the mindset that goes through it too i mean when i'm walking up to the barbell i mean i'm trying to um release any negative thought from my head basically that's going to tell me for that one split second that i can't do this or that i don't know if i can get this so that's why like a lot of the older videos especially you see me really hyped up and screaming and yelling and yeah. you know just psychotic like episodes around me um was to eliminate that thought whatsoever and just just go for it i mean not one time i ever i ever thought that i was going to hurt myself in it you know what i mean i i don't think about that that's just sitting back and just i want to get it over with 
basically as fast as possible as well. Yeah. You know, who likes to be under tension with 900 pounds for a grinding, right. you know, 15 seconds or something like that. It's a ton of pressure. Right. Yeah. No, no one's thinking to themselves, man, I'd love for this rep to take as long as physically possible. Like, no. Absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. Quickly. Like, <laughs> right. Yep, definitely. And, and uh, you know, so a lot of those guys, I feel like, I mean, if that's their way of pulling slow and making sure their form is good and, and all that stuff, I mean, by all means, practice that way. Um, I My technique is not like the most like textbook at all, you know, but if you look at all the elite level guys anyways, they're all some of the all-time greatest deadlifters. Um, a lot of people try to knock me for like the thoracic rounding or something like that. Um, but uh, they all have that to some degree. I mean, you're, you're holding on to 900 plus pounds or 800 plus pounds. It's going to pull you over a little bit. And, um, one guy that comes to mind that argues that is, uh, Chris Duffin Mm -hmm. and where he has that graph where he tries to explain to people that the thoracic spine rounding or spinal rounding in general is actually a range, not just a fixed position. Right. Um, which is considered safe. So, um, and I mean, if you've ever seen pictures of my back anyways, mm-hmm. uh, you'd be able to tell, obviously it's strong enough to handle it. Obviously I'm mostly a, uh, lower back dominant deadlifter. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at the erectors over the years and mass that I've put on and just the size of my lats, I mean, you could tell right away, obviously I'm probably capable of something. Yeah. Right. Right. And yeah. And I think it's interesting. You mentioned that, you know, even with Chris Duffins, uh, graph of saying it's a range because powerlifting isn't a one size fit all right like we're all very individual lifters and what works for one guy doesn't mean it's going to work for the next guy and i think people can get into that dangerous mindset of direct comparison in being like oh you know especially younger lifters or uh, new athletes high schoolers college students who can look up to an athlete and say man i want to make sure my training looks exactly like that but that athlete could have a completely different body type than them Oh yeah, completely. I mean, and the, and the fact of the matter is too, is, uh, you know, you develop that style over time. I mean, it's definitely important to, um, try to maintain, you know, specific abdominal pressure, back tightness and protect yourself as much as possible. But, uh, you know, sooner or later you're, you're going to think like, how the fuck can I get this to go faster or go up? And you you just got to not give a shit anymore, really, is what it comes down to. You know, the people are the ones that are nervous about getting hurt. You know, they might, they'll probably do well. But like, if you want to be at the elite level, not not one person, I don't think you could name that's going on stage terrified of tearing a pack or blowing out a knee or, you know, herniating a disc in their back not one of them are thinking that at all they're just thinking how can i freaking lift this and just get it done you know well there's just there's no room for that like if you're if you're getting under 800 something pounds on your back you can't be thinking man i hope this doesn't hurt me because as soon as that thought in your head you're gonna miss the lift like oh yeah and that you could almost see that painted on people's face when they're scared um you know, especially when they're kind of going into that uncharted, uncharted territory of a personal record, yeah. you know, that you're going to attempt for the first time in front of a, a lot of people. Um, yeah, that that shit can be definitely intimidating. But I mean, you have to adopt the mindset that you just got to You just got to go for it. I mean, if you don't try and just 
really don't give it your all, it, it, nothing's going to, it's not going to happen for yeah. you, unfortunately. Well, and also, yeah, I mean, it's trusting your training as well. I mean, if you've, if you've done what you were supposed to be doing, if you put in that work, if you've peaked there, obviously your execution should be there unless, I mean, if something freaks going to happen, it's going to happen regardless, but you still, you still yeah. have to go in and put that work. I and mean, my last comp, uh, was my first time where I was I squatted 500 in comp and I got under mm-hmm. and I was like man like I squatted 500 plenty of times like I'm fine about it but there was still that moment of like damn now I have to do this in front of people like I thought of like I can actually oh yeah and there's that moment but you just you can't let that hold on to you because it controls everything yeah there's definitely a lot of people out there like that too it's uh they are scared of people watching them right. do it you know so they it's, it's all these factors that can go in whether or not they're going to get in. And that's just one of them. My, uh, my fiance is actually like that. She does not like what people watching her when she works out whatsoever. Like, so a powerlifting meet where all eyes are on her, mm-hmm. she's more likely to kind of not fold up. She'll probably still do really well, but be a little bit more nervous than if she, when she was competing in CrossFit, she would like the team stuff because everybody's moving around and she's not the focus of the attention. Whereas myself, you know, I enjoy the crowd. I love it. Like that amps me up. That gets me going. Like I want, you know, people as, I guess, as cocky as it sounds, you know, I mean, I want people to watch what I'm doing pretty much. Yeah. And and I mean, it's understand. I think it's that comparison of lifters and that, yeah, you do have those people who are, who are better in the gym than they are to meet. And you've got people who are better at meets than they are in the gym because it's just a different training environment. Yeah. And I'm definitely one of those guys. Like I put up good lifts in the gym as well, but uh, my best lifts are when I'm surrounded by, you know, all my friends screaming at me as opposed to just working, you know, and getting the program done in the corner by myself, even though I still do the things that I require to me, but I've, I've notorious for always, you know, hitting huge uh, numbers at the competitions over the gym all the time. Yeah. Well, so kind of along that same track, you know, we, we talk competition uh, and, we, you know, obviously we say, hey, you're not a power lifter if you don't compete. You know, there's all these people online who say, yeah, I'm a I'm a body or whatever they call it, a power builder. I'm, uh, yeah, I'm a power whatever, builder. Like all these yeah. different stuff. They've never stepped on stage. They've never competed. They've never had to stick their neck out and get criticized by judges. But when you prepare for a competition, what does your prep look like? What does your mentality game look like? Particularly, you know, we reach that that fourth quarter period of kind of prepping for the meet where it's really the mental game. What does that look like for you to really get into that headspace? Well, towards, uh, you know, towards the end of the programming is definitely always, you know, when you're you're peaking and, you know, you're weeks out from a powerlifting meet or whatever. So the last lifts are the most important ones, you know. Um, it's, uh, it could be frustrating. That's for sure. But I mean, you just have to, you just have to have just a lot of confidence in yourself. You know what I mean? And, and hopefully by that point, when you reach the peak is that you're not injured, nothing's bothering you so that you're performing like literally at your tip top, you know? And, uh, it just, you know, you just, you just gotta, it's, it all comes down to confidence. And, and like you said, trusting your training, the, the mindset is definitely different across the board for everybody. And I I've been talking about that recently, how mine's changed over time since I've gotten older um, and definitely like more accomplished as well is uh, I don't get as psychotic as I 
used to, you know, I don't have people slapping me in the corner. We're not screaming at each other's faces and, you know, all this stuff. It's, um, I'm more, I guess, uh, composed, uh, almost stoic now, but in my head, that craziness is going on, you know? And, um, I, I just, you know, just charging forward, really. That's what it comes down yeah. to. Well, and I wonder, you, you mentioned that your mentality's really changed. What was it for you that really triggered that change from you going from being more outwardly kind of rage-filled to really focusing it inward? Um, I, you know what? I couldn't honestly pinpoint the transition. Um, and sometimes, don't get me wrong, I like to get into that craziness. Like I said, I'm a big, like, environmental mm-hmm. lifter, so... Um, it depends on the surrounding that I have during that time. So uh, ever since I moved out here to Texas, things have been kind of a little bit more docile, you know, um, and, dry, and, you know, dealing with certain drama at different points to kind of takes my focus away um, mentally uh, than it used to, you know, like where, like, let's say right now my life is going really good. So I don't have a lot of things to be angry and frustrated about in which I, used as energy against my lifting you know what i mean whereas all the craziness i mean you're talking about my life was falling apart at that time you know and i was taking the biggest risks of my life uh financially with jobs you know family uh, a whole bunch of stuff that um like basically my back was up against the wall like i had to do this or there was nothing left like i it, it would all come crashing down on me so i felt like i had to keep working and keep doing things that i had to so i think that's kind of a little bit more of a switch came because my life the stability in my life my personal life is is much better than it was yeah, yeah. And, and, and i can definitely relate to that i think i'm very similar in that i i tend to lift with that aggression i tend to channel a lot of my my anger, frustration, uh, even anxiety, stuff like that that's going on around me into that lifting that generally is what what primes a lot of it. But when we're in yeah. times in which there's not a lot of stuff for us to be upset about, you know, if we're in a good place, you, you can't tap into something that's not there. Uh, right. Yeah. And, it, it, you know, like I had like massive frustrations going into these lifts, like not that I wouldn't get to lift that I, I had like just so much anger at the time, you know. And, uh, like where, like I said, whereas right now I'm just kind of like, eh, I'm good, you know, like, but I still have the confidence in all my lifting. So if you told me to go rip 800 pounds off the ground right now, I would do it just as fast as when I was psychotic and nuts, you know, it's just that I know I could do that. That's always consistent with me. Yeah. That's good. Well, so, um, you know, you, you mentioned it earlier and something that I had known that you were in law enforcement for a while um as well Mm -hmm. so i mean that that in and of itself is a high octane life how how did that play into your training how do you balance all of that and how did that kind of help fuel your own training um you know it was just uh it really that wasn't really what fueled a lot of it but like uh, so i worked in the jail Mm -hmm. at the time you know so i've i've seen enough and been part of enough craziness there you know but uh let's say when you work at the jail at least like the generation that i come from it's all about your appearance you know it's all about how you carry yourself so if the inmates can tell that you're weak or you know you're mentally not strong they'll try to take advantage of you any way that they can you know so and the and 
you know, parts of Chicago that I live in and, and people I was surrounded by, it was always growing up like you had to be tough. You know, you had to let everybody know like you weren't going to take no shit, basically. Um, so I guess that's kind of where a lot of the ego that people love. Right. <laughs> I'm saying that sarcastically right. that I've built that I've built. Uh, you know what I mean? Um, it comes from that, you know, is that like, I'm the man, I'm the guy, like, that's just how it is just from where I was. And that's just a product of the environment that I come from, you know? Well, so kind of along, this is kind of a sidebar, just out of personal curiosity. I wonder, you know, when, uh-huh. you're, when you're at a party, you know, people are saying, Hey, Steve, what is the, what's the craziest thing that's happening? What's the craziest story from your time working, whether it's a jail or law enforcement. I wonder if you could share briefly, just one of the wildest things that you've had to experience or deal with. Oh man, I got, I got a crap ton of stories. Uh, I won't, I won't say anything about law enforcement or the jail only because I believe I could still, uh, get in trouble for some of that stuff, but, uh, working at a bar, um, you know, I was a bouncer for a really long time before I started working in at uh, the sheriff's department and, uh, you know, actually I'll talk about jail one actually that I did see. I didn't witness it at the time, but like one of the coolest things I ever fucking yeah. seen. And it's going to sound, it's going to be like, why is this guy think this shit's cool? <laughs> but, um, you know, I uh, was operating a living unit and I mean, it was quiet. Like it was, there's a hustle and bustle going on in the living room and they're or in the day room and they're in my view. And it's uh, the officers were rotated every 90 days. Right. So I was, I was on a living unit for 90 days straight. And uh, all the inmates, they learn you, they learn your ways, they know how you manage it. So they conduct themselves and give and take, you know, it's a respect thing. So give and take things. uh, And there's like a mutual understanding of how it's going to go. So normally, I never had any problems, you know, Uh, most of the inmates, they were always pretty cool with me. But I I also gave respect. So I got a lot of respect too. But if I had to handle business, they knew that I would do it, you know. Um, but so there's this, the day room's all lively and, and cool going on. These guys are watching TVs, just acting like goofballs, you know, but they're not doing shit wrong. All of a sudden it goes dead silent and I hear some thumping mm-hmm. and I'm like, what the fuck? And then I see them all kind of looking around, but they're all trying to look normal because <laughs> basically, basically two dudes were, were hashing out some sort of conflict with right. each other. So as I get up to go inspect what's happening they start you know shouting that i'm coming uh well they all disperse right right so i walk around i'm viewing the inmates and they're all just acting like shit isn't happening and i'm like what the fuck like what the fuck happened nothing's happening you know so i I walk away go sit at my desk again all of a sudden 10 minutes later this inmate shows up um off to this we had like a little side where they could come and talk to us and uh he comes to the side. Now, mind you, I'm working in a, in a, I'm trying to paint the picture here for you. I worked in a jail that was built in 1928, wow. the section of the jail. So it was old. So we had like actual jail yeah, bars. Yeah. And uh, so the inmate just walks up to the bars and he starts talking to me. And he's like, he's a black guy, but he looks like ghostly white, right? Wow. Like, I mean, he is pale. And I see this guy all the time. He does not normally look at He's holding his stomach. And, uh, I'm like, what's going on? He goes, this, he's like, they stabbed me. And I'm like, they stabbed you? Who stabbed you? And I look at his shirt and it's this little quarter size dot of blood on oh, his shirt, man. right? And I'm like, 
okay, not a big deal. And, he, and I, I opened the door for him to come in. So he's like away from the other inmates and safe. So I can assess what's going on and go further from there. He lifts his shirt up and his intestines are hanging Holy out. Holy shit. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, Holy. I was like, I was, I wasn't like freaking out. I was like in my head, I'm thinking, Holy shit, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> you know, but I was like, I was like, I need to call my sergeant and let him know what's going on. So I get on the radio, call the sergeant, and they come running up with the medical team, and they're looking at him, and they can't believe this fucking guy's uh, small intestines started oozing out of this fucking hole that they just popped him a bunch of times in. And I couldn't believe it either. I was like, you know, the guy all of a sudden, like, is like, you know, am I going to die? And, of course, me being an asshole, I'm like, yeah, you're going to die, man. Like, you're going to fucking die. You know, and I'm just fucking with him, though, you know, but he's in, like, panic mode, but he's still trying to play cool, and then they just kind of cart him off after that. But I've been involved in, like, an abundance of fights and, and uh, riot. Even the first year that I was there, there was a riot. And, uh, you know, that was – it was just crazy. But it was everything that I wanted yeah. at the first, when I first started, you know, and I was like, holy shit, this is fucking cool, man. Like, I like this. You know, it was just – it fit my – my my expectancy of the job i guess you could yeah. say man that is wild but, that is oh yeah. man we love to hear that i uh so i whenever i'm not a, at school i work security for a nightclub in washington dc uh so obviously i'm not necessarily okay. exper- experiencing people's uh intestines falling out of them but you know it's it's cool here in other positions and stuff like that it's so cool yeah, I could I could tell you another story actually. Before I got yeah. hired at the sheriff's department, I was a bouncer, and uh, you know this is long, long ago. And you know I won't name any names, but I doubt I could get in trouble for this. But you know, uh, you know, you're a bouncer at least where I was at. Like, you know, at the time I was doing MMA too. You know, so I thought I was a fucking badass. Right. You know, and I fought. I actually fought a lot, not just practiced MMA. I traveled and and fought. You know, so. Um, I would, I was that dickhead in my twenties that would try to instigate shit all the time. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I thank God I grew up from that <laughs> because I, you know, like if you knew me back then, you'd be like, this guy is a fucking douche, right. you know? And, uh, and self-admitting like, yeah, you know, I, I was an idiot, but, um, I think we all kind of go through that. But anyways, um, long story short, we end up getting into a scuffle with a guy who dragged the guy out. And the guy start, we throw the guy out on the ground. He gets up and, and tries to start fighting us. So I step in, of course, and I start boxing this guy. And I mean, like boxing him, like getting the best of him. Like he's not even touching right. me. And he falls down, his jeans rip, you know, he looks all tattered, all fucking crazy. Well, um, another guy that I worked with comes out and he runs and he starts kicking this dude and stuff. And I'm holding the guy down. Now this, now all here come the police cars, right? And this was on a Black Wednesday, like, you know, the bar holiday for all the college students right. before Thanksgiving and all that. And the next Monday, I was starting the Sheriff's Academy. So, all oh, here comes the police cars, and now I'm like, holy shit, I'm going to get, like, an assault charge <laughs> right even before, basically, before I even freaking start the Sheriff's Department, my career is over before it starts. So, we're holding this guy down. This guy is, like, definitely bloody, all fucked up. And my buddy's like, he's like, uh, did he even hit you? And he's like, no, he's like, and he, he like, he waves me over. Now we're on the ground with him. He waves me over. He's like, where do you try to, where was he trying to hit you in your face? And I was like, yeah, like 
kind of around my face. He fucking, my buddy rears back and headbutts me in the face <laughs> as hard as he can. So he headbutts me. So I get like a nice lump on my face. My mouth is bleeding and I, it stunned me. And, and when he did it, he's like, I fucking love you, man. Have fun at your new job. Like, cause then I was able to say basically that the guy assaulted yeah. me and whatnot, you know? So asshole things when I was 22 years old, 23 oh, years old. Gosh. So well, no, I, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. that reminds me. So, uh, where where I work is a similar thing, you know. If the if the client lays hands on you, then it's game over. But we're not allowed to to initiate, yeah. right? So, uh, you know, it's a Saturday night. You know, the the club closes at two a.m., so it's like one thirty. So stuff should be winding down. But this dumbass DJ decides to play Mo Bamba. So of course everyone's losing their <laughs> minds, and I'm like, homie, we're just right. trying to get last call in here. And yeah, you know, this guy is trying to come up to the club which is on the, on the top of the building and um, yeah. we're just not letting him in he's clearly drunk uh and so he uh lays hands on our usual guy who's carding everyone and this guy yeah wonderful dude you know he's probably in his mid-40s like he's a, he's a sweetheart really but he's like yo you actually just touched me and when i say this man picked up this guy and threw him into the elevator like this client Holy was shit. like a rag doll hit this elevator yeah. and i looked at this i was like oh my man's about to lose his job <laughs> i was like there's, there's no way yeah. to say that this was just like oh it was accidental i didn't mean to throw him eight feet into an elevator but and so right, now, right. You know, my boss comes up he goes man you just can't be doing that and i never saw my man no. again but <laughs> yeah i mean it sometimes it just goes like that you know and i feel like you have more of those experiences when you're younger yeah. um Cause now like I'm much likely to like talk a situation down and like, yeah, whatever, you know, like, or brush somebody off. Whereas, you know, before I would turn around and I'd be like, the fuck did you say or something? And you know, it would all hell would break loose from there. Cause I was definitely that guy and I still am, but um, I'm like kind of more on like the silent assassin side. Like if someone got in my face, I never would talk shit back. I would just hit you. Like we would just start fighting, you know, like, I wasn't about like all the shit talking stuff and, and, you know, puffing my chest up and shit like that. I was just gonna, I was just gonna do something like, cause my thing was, if you're going to get that close to me, well then you better be ready for, to fucking fight, you know? All right. So, uh, kind of switching topics here. So when you, um, when you're training at a top level, uh, obviously you, um, your recovery has to be in tune. Um, and I know you're mate, you love, you love your supplements, you love your SARMs. Like you're, you're very in detail about, um, what you do to recover, what you do to train. So I wonder yeah. if you could just break that down a little bit for us. Like, what does it look like for you to really recover, especially after pulling something like 900 pounds? I can't imagine. Yeah, honestly, um, you know, besides like the normal, like stretching and like mobility work and, you know, icing or taking hot baths when stuff hurts or something like that. Um, it definitely, honestly, uh, as I've matured in lifting, it comes down to rest. It, it really boils down to that. And when I was first starting out, you know, and I was real gung ho, I mean, I wanted to train every day. I, I didn't care how sore I was. I would just work through the soreness or, or do whatever, but I, I knew I wanted to get this done. And, uh, that was definitely my life. Whereas obviously it's still my lifestyle now, but it's a, a smarter approach. So I, I take the rest, um, very, very seriously. Like, uh, Josh trains or programs me only about four days per week mm -hmm. of training. 
but honestly that four days can take upwards of 10 days to actually com- complete okay. so uh, especially towards the peak of anybody's program that's a huge thing like it's just um, building up like the central nervous system week by week so that I can complete the next heaviest lift the next week you know and uh, one of the biggest troubles I have like coaching newer or younger athletes the ones that are so determined is I I love that they're determined that's awesome you know and that's going to get you very far but they don't know how to like you know take their foot off the gas when they need to you know or pump the brakes a little bit they just go all out and that's a good mentality to have for sure but you got to know when to just be, be lazy honestly yeah yeah uh, and I and I think that's good because there is, and I found myself falling into it at different points, especially when you have a specific goal for a lift in mind, mm-hmm. where you're like, man, like I know I want to break the 800 barrier on squat. I know I want to bench 500. Like when you've got that goal in mind, it's so easy to just say go, 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 go. But ultimately, if you if you don't chill out, you're gonna hurt yourself, and you're never gonna. Yeah, hit yeah, that's what it comes down to. To you hurt yourself, and then on top of it, the, I mean. Stan Efferding says it all the time, and, and so does Mark Bell. And the name of the game is longevity. You know what I mean? So it's can you outlast everybody else? Because how many guys have been through the sport that you know, you know, they pop up for a year or two and then they disappear into thin air. Yep. You never hear about them ever again, yep. you know, and uh, that could be uh, surrounded by a bunch of things. Either they just were accomplished enough that they decided, fuck this. I'm done or they hurt themselves seriously and they had never had time or the ability to, to uh, recover the same way. And one guy that comes to mind, he's one of my favorite lifters um, was Brandon Lilly. I mean, not that he wasn't resting, but I mean, God, look at that guy was, you know, top athlete for a long time in the sport. And then look at, you know, he blew his knee out and the guys had nothing but, trouble since and i mean since then he's changed his lifestyle a lot and uh you know looks like he concentrates a lot more on the outdoorsy part of things rather than you know you know doing all the crazy shit but you know there's a ton of guys like that man they they get injured and they just never come back yeah yeah there's a there's a guy uh who i train with his name's duncan who Mm -hmm. uh is prepping for usapl bench world right now uh and he tore his meniscus and his ACL last year. Mm. Uh, and there, there was a, a hot minute there where I was like, man, like this guy's done. And I mean, like this kid's like freak athlete. I mean, he's the two ways, two seventy five. He's like five, nine. He's like the perfect build for powerlifting. Yeah. He's squatting like 800. He's like 20 years old. Oh, and wow. I was like, damn, like this dude's done. And it is, it's been incredible to watch him come back yesterday. I, I wrote his program for this week and, you know, the guy's back to, to squatting, you know, 525 or sets like 15. He goes, yeah. I could have done 20. And I'm like, man, like, I'm so glad you're the anomaly. Because yeah. So frequently we do see those injuries where these guys are just done. It's just, there's just no coming back for them. Yeah. I mean, and look at like uh, somebody that's come back huge. Um, I don't think he's really had been able to showcase it so much yet, but his training is going awesome as Rob Hall. Like, do you remember when he tore his quad, like on that freak accident, you know, racking the bar? And I mean, that dude, he's besides Rob. I mean, him and I have had our battles together and and stuff. But I mean, fucking huge respect for, I mean, just sticking with it, honestly. 
you know because it, it, it's just so too because it it even beyond the physical toll it takes the mental toll that an injury like that takes is brutal because it just whacks your confidence after a certain point because there's like the fire of oh damn i'm injured but like i'm gonna be back but then after a certain point you're like damn like am i gonna be back and it's like if you get into that mentality it's over right like it's just there's there's no comeback i think of uh brandon allen last yeah. year oh yeah brandon was another one. Off the yeah yeah um i remember uh, a friend of mine logan chapman the two of them were kind of prepping to compete against each other at the Kern. And then of course, Brandon just destroys himself. Yeah. And he's still just kind of like there because he just hasn't been able to, to fully recover. Right. Right. I I mean, yeah, Brandon though, he, I mean, that dude's a fucking monster, you know? Uh, <laughs> I love him to death. Yeah. He's, uh, he's one of my favorite people to talk to. I, I keep in touch with him pretty regularly. And, uh, you know, obviously you can't, you can't deny that the dude is one of the best, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think one of the things that cracks me up the most about Brandon is, uh, you know, obviously filthy power gym uh, is called filthy for a reason. Yeah. That, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm pretty sure, you know, if you ever go onto like a, a porn stars page on Instagram, you know, Brandon's going to be following. Yeah. Him. Yeah. He's <laughs> uh, cracks me up. it's definitely fitting. And like, what I like about Brandon is that, I mean, he's just himself, you know, and, and if you don't like it, you don't like it. And basically it tells you to go fuck yourself, you know? And, yeah. uh, I mean, the, he's, he's an awesome guy, man. Really awesome guy. Yeah. I like, I like what he's got going on. Yeah, he, he is. He's a good dude. Mm-hmm. So, um, obviously, so you're been coached, um, by Josh Bryant. Uh, how long have you been with jailhouse strong? Uh, so this year, um, I think around June will be my fifth year with Josh five years so from the time that you've started with jailhouse to now how much weight have you put on your total so my first ever powerlifting meet i totaled 1987 um and that that was on my own programming and just that's a hell of an opener too yeah i mean i was already deadlifting 800 pounds on like fucking stiff bars and with shitty hexagon plates at uh la fitness you know um and the first time I actually deadlift on a deadlift bar was at that first meet. I, I didn't even know they existed. I had no idea what they were. <laughs> um, so I think my first meet, if I remember right, was like a 720 squat, I think a 460 bench or something like that because something was going on with my pack, and a 805 deadlift. Wow. Yeah, so I, I came like right out the gate. It was like somewhere around. I know the deadlift for sure was 805. The squat and, dead, the squat and bench are like kind of around that, I believe. But uh, so when I first met Josh, I had that total. And then um, I talked to him. I started talking to him because I was training with the guy out in Chicago. He was uh, he was um, kind of falling off the whole powerlifting bandwagon for a while. He was training with the Lily Bridges and I would go up and train with them from time to time as well. And uh, his name was Matt Clausen. And Matt was, you know, he was a he had a 2100 pound total he was you know 800 pound squatter mid 500 bench but his deadlift wasn't all that great like sevens you know um i guess in comparison to mine that's a good deadlift but you know sure yes yeah so um me and matt kind of started hooking up and and uh working out all the time and training and he would do his bench day we we would train on squat and deadlift day together but he was doing his bench day separate and you know, he started creeping up with high fives, possibly a 600 pound bench. 
And I was like, dude, how the fuck is your bench going so crazy? And he um, talked about Josh Bryant. He's like, oh, Josh Bryant's doing my program for it. And, uh, you know, he's really great. You should check it out. And I would just, over the next couple months, I would just observe what Matt was doing as far as the bench training went. And I was like, oh, that's pretty unique. You know, I've never tried things like this, you know, which was just different than the regular bench pressing three by five or five by fives. And um, my bench would always stay like in that mid four range. I just wanted a 500 pound bench, you know, like to me, that was like the pinnacle of benching before, obviously like someone like Julius came out of, out of, you know, (laughs) sure. Yeah. And uh, you know, I felt like that would round my total really nice because my squad deadlift were consistently always jumping up from me to me. And I was like, if I could just get a bench, that's an F5, that'll put me in that range. So, um, I did another powerlifting meet and I totaled 2035 or something like that right before I was trained with Josh. And then when I linked with Josh, I went from 2035 to 2133 right away. Wow. Yeah. And that was because all of a sudden my, my deadlift was like in the mid eights squat was, you know, low to, to low to, um, well, like low eight hundreds and then bench all of a sudden shot to like five. And then since then, working with Josh, um, he's, you know, taken me well well beyond that. And uh, my best total that I've managed to put together was 2260 with Josh. So basically from a 2,000-pound lifter to 2,020, almost 2,300, honestly. I could – one of the meets I decided to do, do a deadlift only, but I had prepped the whole thing, like, as if I was going to do a whole powerlifting meet. So I did the squat and everything. Right. And that was probably my strongest I ever been. So if I went all out on that, I, I'm pretty sure I could have totaled 23 something pretty easily. Well, yeah. So I mean, obviously that's a, a remarkable amount of progress. But obviously you're not done yet. No. So when you when you look ahead to the future, what what are kind of the next kind of jumping blocks for you as you move forward? Um. So I set everything like milestones, and I feel like everybody's still kind of the same. Where you know, you hit an 1,800-pound total, you want a 1,900-pound total, and so on and so on. Right. So definitely, I want to set that 2,300-pound total in stone. Um, so that's the next uh, goal. And, um, you know, at first, my focus a lot was on the world re- uh, record deadlift. So I was going after KK's deadlift, uh, I think, three uh-huh. or four times now. And unsuccessful i think the most successful one is i got over my knees a little bit and then my hips straightened out and the lift was over but um you know not focusing on the deadlift anymore rather just focusing on the total as a whole and and Mm -hmm. just honestly continue to solidify myself in you know the records and the three weight pound class you know stuff like that like trying to be number one in the class is going to be hard because i mean guys I'm not far off, honestly. I mean, you know, a couple more years, good training cycles, no injuries. I'm sure I could reach that point too, but just being in the top 10 is comfortable for me because, you know, those guys are all 2,200 plus pound power lifters, you know, and that's a huge numbers. Yeah. Yeah. No, they are for sure. Uh, It's, it's something where I'm like, man, I've got, I've got a little ways to go before (laughs) I'm talking 2,300 pounds. Um, But it's, it's definitely, you know, I think the heavier the total gets, the heavier the weight gets, the harder it is to put those pounds. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when you're, when you're benching 225, you know, when you're squatting 400, you can very quickly start putting pounds. Oh yeah. 
But when you when you start dealing with with 800, 900 pounds, I mean, what's really going through your mind? Because it could really be that long plateau of like, man, I could be stuck at a weight here for the next two years before I put 10 pounds on. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely that's definitely kind of where I've fallen. I feel like where I I haven't I haven't well, I did my first sleeve meet that was last year. I did sleeves only and I totaled 21 something. And, um, so that was a huge thing for me too, just doing sleeves only. Um, and like been kind of dormant now, you know, just, I'm still performing high. There's definitely no one could take that away from me. Cause I could, you know, warm ups with 2,100 pound totals, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah. it's just like, it's just coming up with training block that just it all just kind of clicks together you know um so it's a lot of trial and error honestly and even though josh you know he puts together the programs and what he does he tried to observe where i failed or broke down at certain lifts and we try to just slowly you know etch those out you know exploit them and then try to handle them you know um and really that's kind of the kind of the thing that's where the training's been right now was seeing what i've been doing wrong or what i could do better and improving from that point of the lift yeah well so uh you're coached by josh and then you of course uh do programming as well uh so mm-hmm. when you look at yourself as a coach what is it that you really look for because obviously every every coach is has a different style of the athletes they're working with the the way that they program what is kind of your, your brand, what you're looking for and what you're hoping to create with your own team? Um, well, I mean, I, I really, honestly, when I first started coaching everybody, I wasn't just coaching powerlifters. They got the most attention because that's what everybody knew me for. Sure. Um, but, uh, you know, I was everybody from weight loss to just general fitness and then, uh, powerlifting as well. But, uh, the powerlifting stuff, honestly, when I train people, everybody comes to me um, when they were wanting the coaching with a, with an attitude that they want it, they want this, they're going to do that. But then a lot of them, when you face them with hard work, they fall off, they break down, or they just disappear. You never hear from them again. And, yeah. uh, you know, it sucks because you invest a lot of time in them and you kind of yep. feel it as the weeks build up if someone's just not that into it anymore or if they thought, like the way that my approach is in my head is like, I mean, this is my lifestyle. This is my life. I yeah. treat it like this is my next meal, you know? And yeah. you, then you get like, you know, the little cutesy girl or, or young guy that thinks like, Oh, I want to do it just to let everybody know I did a powerlifting me and they don't give a shit what they put up. And that sure. kind of reflects in their feedback to you, you know? And I, I, I really don't like working with people like that, but I always try to encourage them with a different mindset or approach to build them up into a better athlete, just overall and to do things safely. Um, and uh, a lot of the guys and girls that I worked with that really shine were the one that had the drive similar to mine. So I feel like a lot of the times I attracted people with similar mindsets and that helps tremendously when you're training and coaching them. So um, one thing that's helped me develop my coaching style is definitely Josh Bryant working with him, you know, Hey, Josh, I got this idea with this client. Check this out. What do you think? Or what can I do here? 
And, you know, when I first started out, that's, that's what it was. Cause uh, you know, I was figuring all that out. So um, it's like a combined version of Joe how strong slash uh, how my mindset was early on, you know, it's a lot of work. I, I, I kill people with a lot of work yeah. basically. Which you kind of have to do. Uh, the, the guy who yeah. coaches me uh, is a guy based out of, out of Canada. His name's Larry McEwen. Um, oh, I know Larry. What? He was one of my clients. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so obviously it's a mutual connection. So Larry, he wears my shirts all the time. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's actually yeah. so funny. Now that you're saying that I'm picturing it. He uh, just ordered a banner from me. I'm autographing it and sending it out there for him. Oh man. I love that man to yeah. death. Um, yeah, he's a good guy. So I was literally about to say, well, you know, Larry programs a lot of hard work. And I was like, well, <laughs> that would be a trickle down effect. Um, yeah. Yeah. That, that it is. It's, it's, it's focused, it's aggressive and, and it's a high workload, but at the same time yeah. it works. You know, I think you get these coaches, these online coaches who um, write these these cookie cutter programs that are, oh, yeah, hey, take an RPE 8 top single and right. let's drop it down for a 4 by 4 And you're like, all right, dude, like, sick, like, great work for two weeks, but, like, right. that's not going to get you anywhere. Yeah. And so I, I think something that even I found with a few of the guys that, that I work with is – when you hit them with something hard, they're like, wait, like, do I actually have to do this? And I'm like, man, how do you expect to get anywhere in the sport if you don't bust your ass? Yeah. And like a lot of them might not have thought they would be pushed like that. And, and, you know, it's, uh, don't get me wrong. Cookie cutter programs have their place. You know what I mean? Right. Of course. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you just have to hit people with work and a lot of people you'll find out very quick aren't willing to do it. You know, they just want to hit their max lift. Like I had a person that did that, you know, I won't tell, say their name, but they would want to just hit their lift that I gave them for the day, heavy thing, do a couple back down sets and they fucking disregard all the accessory work after that. You right. know, like they just did not give a shit. They just wanted to do that. And then when they go to the meet and they do terribly, they're like, what the happened? Of course, the blame always falls back on the coach. You know, it was like, of course, he didn't <laughs> do this right for me. And I tried to explain them like, look, it doesn't, you're not always going to do your best all the time. Josh has been with me, I mean, for a long time. And there's meets where we both kind of shrugged our shoulders like, what the fuck happened? We don't know. You know, it just didn't click that day. And uh, that's why I think a lot of people fail to realize. I think getting a coach is going to be like the end all be all. I'm going to be the greatest thing that's ever walked, you know, this weight class I'm in. And then they find out right. the hard way that there's something missing in there. And it's not necessarily the coach's fault. You know, it could be a whole combination of things, you know, or maybe they just, the feedback loop wasn't good or they weren't really given it all. Like they told the coach they were, because um, I always had the best success with in-person clients. Um, those yes. were always the best because it would turn into damn near a freaking seminar every time because I would sit there, demonstrate over and over again. I used to carry around my PVC pipe, you know, and, and demonstrate movement yep. and technique and um, look at everybody because like, you you know, we were saying earlier is that not everybody moves the same. So their leverages are different. Right. So trying to figure out the leverage points um, to uh, have that person push ahead, you know, and, uh, and it worked great. I mean, I had at the Chicago Barbell Compound, a team of guys and girls that were just doing absolutely excellent. You know what I mean? And 
a lot of that is because we were all there together. We all lifted together. We cheered each other on. So the mentality, the encouragement was there, but they were getting the one-on-one visualization of things, you know, how to fix it. So, yeah. Well, and, and I think, you know, when we're, and, and obviously there's a, there's a place for online coaching. It's a benefit for that. Um, because, you know, as much as we'd love to, we can't be in the same place as all of our athletes all the time. But, you know, I, I do think something I can see is, you know, you spend your time writing programs, you know, on a weekly basis, you sit down, you put in, honestly, what really turns into hours, depending on how many yeah. people you're working mm-hmm. with. And through a week, you're like, man, like, this guy's really not making the progress I know he should be making based on how mm-hmm. new he is to the sport. And you start kind of then being like, man, like, are you are you hitting what you're supposed to be hitting? They're like, oh, yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. And you find out three weeks later, you're like, no, man, like you weren't like, why don't you, if you don't want the work, don't ask me to put in the work, you know? And it's, it's almost like, I think sometimes athletes can think they're doing the coach a favor by staying right. on, even if they're not doing the work. And I'm like, no, you do us a favor by making this both look. Yeah. Like yeah. And like, <laughs> I always tell people too, a disclaimer is like, look, cause I've had people get mad. Of course, you know, it's like, you're not giving me the attention that I want. And it's because they put things so vague and I'll try to like pull stuff out of them. They're like, I'm doing fine, you know, but it's, uh, the feedback isn't there. So I always tell them the best, the best outcome is going to be you and I on the same page. You continually all the time texting, telling me what's up, sending me videos, because if I don't know what's happening, I'm just going to assume everything is okay. You know, if you're like, okay, coach, I'm done for the week. Cool. You got any questions? Nope okay and they didn't submit videos or anything so i'm like kind of in the dark like all right you said everything was good and i'm assuming it's good and then i'll you see them in person you're like holy shit it's not good at all you know and now like honestly it's it'll be too late at that point yep oh man i couldn't tell you the amount of people i've worked with that uh you know i i say hey man like uh, i'm gonna check in with you a few times a week i'm gonna make sure especially on the front end, like when you very first start working with someone, of course you're like always on them because you want to like start establishing that communication line and be like, Hey man, like just keep me posted. How's stuff going? And yeah, when, when they say, Oh, it's good. Yeah, I did well. It was good. I'm like, you got any videos? Yeah. No. I'm like, all right. Well, like, Oh yeah. I'm like, thanks. I guess like, yeah. I mean, online coaching with. can be extremely rewarding for both sides. But it could be the biggest pain in your ass ever, too. So um, when I first started coaching and I was, you know, at my prime with the gym and that's all I did. um, I mean, I had a couple hundred clients, you know, and that was, like I said, a range of uh, fitness levels and and goals. Um, And everything's rocking and rolling. But now, honestly, I prefer like five to six clients. I've minimized it that much. Um, just because number one is I'm working full time again, so I don't need to have that as a source of income, but also is I could really focus on people a lot better and really push them to the next level. And I've had a ton of people that were continually reoccurring clients with me that I've had for a couple of years now myself, you know, and they're just keep improving and they're doing great. It's a slow progress, but you know, we live in a world where everybody wants shit right now. You know, you're able to open your phone and get whatever you want. And it doesn't happen like that, unfortunately, with this sport. And when people don't see the results right away, they automatically assume it's not working, you know? 
So that's hard to break a lot of people's mindsets on that, especially with the newer generation. You know, it's like, I want it right now. You know, you order some shit from Amazon. You sometimes you get it that damn day, but it doesn't happen like that. You actually have to work. Yeah. It's funny. You know, is that, that image, it's almost like a meme of, yeah, as soon as you sort of order something on Amazon, you're already like looking out your front door. Right. Like, is it here yet? Is it here yet? And you're like, Oh my yeah. God, like <laughs> chill out. Like they've got same day delivery. We get it. But, but yeah, it's just, we live in this instantaneous, you know, generation of people who expect everything to be immediate. They have these short attention spans uh, from it's the vine culture, the yeah. TikTok culture of, of people that are just used to this immediacy and they can't handle actually having to work for stuff. And there's nothing more frustrating in a sport where you have to work. And where nothing is just given, it yeah. has to be earned, than to have someone walk in and be like, yeah, just give me everything. I didn't put the work Right, in and I mean, that could be frustrating, like, for my side of it as a coach and also a high athlete. Like, well, who are you? And all of a sudden just trying to take in my territory here, you know, um, because they don't realize it. And then when I give them the work, like I was saying earlier, it, like, they're just, like, overwhelmed, you know. It's really not that even, like, that much work. But, like it takes a long time to do it because of setting stuff up, putting stuff together, you know, moving from this place to this place. It can take two hours long, let's say, you know, but just people aren't willing to invest the time, I guess, in themselves like that when they, they, I guess you just don't really care, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, so kind of as we, as we wrap this up, uh, some, I, I ask everyone, uh, and, and I never want to presuppose anything on anyone or push anything on anyone. But as you look at your training, you know, obviously you're you're engaged, you're you're planning to to get married, uh, you're working full time, mm-hmm. you're bouncing a lot. Um, what does yours, if any, does your faith walk um, and your own kind of pursuit of kind of who you are as a person play into your training and kind of your day in and uh, day out? faith in what in what uh, context? Like, OK. In any, I mean, obviously, yeah. I'm I'm a Christian, so for me, obviously, I I, I would profess that there's a God. I know it's yeah. not everyone's story. Some people are just pursuing being bettering people. Uh, just wonder for you where that. Um, yeah, so I'm not like a huge religion person as well, and you know, I always tell people sure. like, no offense, and me and my fiance, we think the same thing. We we don't believe in it, you know, and. Uh, I'm, I don't even believe in spiritual stuff. You know what I mean? I'm just here. This is my time here. Yeah. And this is what I'm doing with it. Um, I don't believe in karma, nothing like that. Like basically the whole thing that I've built my success around is that I created my own opportunity. Like I didn't pray for it. Yeah. I didn't, you know, hope that someone would just, you know, drop, you know, some plane tickets in my lap to go out here. I, I worked for it. I made phone calls, I coordinated with people and I pulled the right strings and put myself in the right places. And, and honestly, that's been a lot of my success. And anyone that knows me knows that if I want something like now or soon, I do whatever I can. I focus all my energy on that to get it done. And, uh, that right now is coming by way of trying to open a gym out here in Texas. So, I mean, I'm on the phone daily talking with different people about investing options and, you know, funding and locations. I mean, I'm trying to get this going, ready to go within the next year, you know? So, um, 
yeah. definitely just just working hard on that but it's definitely nice to be with somebody uh my fiance alexis likes to be the similar mindset um you know compliment each Absolutely. other a lot on that stuff and you know have each other's back and and have everything equal you know like she does her share i contribute mine and everything just works in harmony you know so. yeah and I, and I think that's so important. And I think it's something that a lot of people are missing that really, reg- regardless of what people's personal beliefs are, obviously, I mean, it's yeah. a country, everyone does their own thing. But beyond all of that, to find someone who compliments you yeah. is just so huge. Because at that point, yeah. I mean, the world's your oyster. You know, there's that immediacy where, hey, we're here and we're gone. It's what you do right. with your time here that matters. You know, and especially if you're trying to open a gym. I mean, it's a damn it's a headache, too. Downs. I mean, I've done it before and it's like, yeah. It could be extremely frustrating, but it could be a lot of fun too. And uh, I intend to maintain a regular job at the same time. So um, that's where a juggling act is going to come in as well. But it, it's going to be fun. Like I actually look forward to it. I'm not like I'm not thinking negatively about it. Obviously, I, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm ready to just put all my focus there, and you know, and and just just hopefully be successful at it. Thank God, I've been able to structure and build my name you know the way the way it is now that you know i'm not banking solely on my name for people to come there but people are going to associate strength sure. and all this other stuff with that facility and hopefully come there that's the plan you know so it's uh it should be fun i'm i'm excited for it I'm doing a lot of stuff to make it happen and if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen but i'm doing everything i can to make it happen yeah. Well, so last question for you, uh, and not even so much as a question, just more you know, for you to offer more some advice, you know, for people who uh, are are looking to push forward in this industry, people who are looking for that inspiration, that motivation, you know, what is your what is your why? Like, what is it that really drives you? What is it you would say to these people who are really just looking to get started? And well, definitely. I mean, you just I mean, whatever your goals are. And, and if you're, especially the people who are trying to figure out what to do with their lives, this is a passion for you. You got to figure out a way to, to have it make money for you, you know, and, and uh, like, yeah. you know, be in love with what you do. You, you have to, and, and two best pieces of advice I ever got ever was number one was from Stan Efferding, who was my idol starting out and Casey Mitchell, who I'm very good friends with. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time with him. Yeah. But best piece of advice I got from Stan about starting a business, which was my strength coaching online and the gym and all that other stuff was my biggest concern with it was, you know, I was trying to trying to figure out, am I going to be able to make this, you know, am I going to be able to succeed? And he said, you just got to do it. He's like, if you don't do it, you'll never know if it's ever going to happen. And if you fail, you fail. So you got to be willing to put yourself out there. Um, And then that goes back to what Casey said when I was kind of like, you know, on that line of like popularity, let's say, you know, and bringing the attention to my brand. What do I do for this? And Casey told me, do everything and anything possible to be anywhere and everywhere that you can in front of people and and display what you're good at. So I literally was flying all over the country to all these huge events to put myself in front of people because I was confident in myself and knew I was good. 
and to like get the shock factor and value. So people are like, who the fuck's that guy? You know? And, uh, you know, I created my yeah. whole image around that. I had the long beard, the fucking Mohawk. I was like watching like a street fighter character walk around, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, that's the thing is, I mean, you gotta, you gotta create your brand and you gotta like, you got to be consumed by it. That's, that's all, you know, honestly. And you have to be, you have to be a little cocky. You have to be a little arrogant too. You could still be graceful and humble when you need to be and give people the respect that they should. But like, if you're going to become a brand or successful, you need to be all about that shit. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And that's a good word because you got to be bought in. If you want to, to be successful in something, you got to give it everything. If you're not willing to put, a hundred percent of your energy into something that you want to pursue, especially in this, into greatness, you're not going to achieve that because it means you're half-assing it because you're pouring your oh, energy. And people will recognize that do. really fast too. You know, they'll notice if you don't really give a shit about what you do and they'll also tune into the absolute passion you have for it. One of a lot of the good conversations I ever had was walking around these expos and people think that they tap me on the shoulder that I'm not going to give them the time of day and just take a picture and brush off. And I'd fucking sit there with people and BS as long as they wanted, you know, or until I bored the shit out of them because I like because yeah. I like to fucking talk. You know what right. I mean? So um, that was that was always a good thing. And people could tell when they talked to me that I really loved what I did. And I mean, and people had no idea what kind of shit I was going through at that time. But I made it work and I was just passionate about it, you know, and I still am. So, yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Well, folks, you heard it here first. This has been an interview with Steve Johnson. You can find him on Instagram at Forsaken Warrior, uh, or you can get some merch programming at ForsakenWarrior.BigCartel.com. His podcast is also available on Spotify, iTunes, um, Google Podcasts, and SoundCloud at Forsaken Warrior Podcast. A recent episode came out with Josh Bryant as well, uh, if you want to go check that out. Um, just so good getting to definitely. chat with you, Steve. So glad we were absolutely, able to, man. To definitely always up for some podcasting. <laughs> yes, yes. As a, as someone else who who is a podcaster, I think oh yeah, you'd, definitely. You'd be up for it. So, uh, well, so grateful to get to chat with you, brother. Uh, best of luck. Stay safe out there. Yep. Same uh, to you, man. I appreciate it. Big. Thank you so much. <laughs>